and welcome to In Touch with Tennessee, a podcast of the University of Tennessee Institute for Public Service. Joining me today to talk about all things human resources and specifically human resources for Tennessee cities are Municipal Technical Advisory Services HR Consultants, Betsy Cunningham, John Grubbs, and Peter Voss. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Our pleasure. Good afternoon, Susan. Thank you. So can we go around and have each of you introduce yourselves and tell us how long you've been with MTAS and a little bit about your role with the agency? Sure. Uh, My name's Peter Voss. Uh, I've been with uh, MTAS now for about three and a half years. Um, I am the West Tennessee Human Resource Consultant, uh, where I have about 110 cities. Uh, Nine of them have populations greater than 10,500. So that kind of looks like the majority of my cities are actually small. Mm -hmm. And I'm Betsy Cunningham, and I, too, like Peter, have been here three and a half years. We started around the same time. I work with East Tennessee cities, and I have 113 customers approximately, and my customers range They may have an employee population of five, uh, which is probably one of the smallest. And then uh, 2,500 is the largest city that I work with. Hi, I'm John Grubbs. I'm the Middle Tennessee HR consultant. I've been with NPAS overall about eight years. Um, I did take a hiatus in the middle and I rejoined the organization when Peter and Betsy joined. I have 124 cities that range from really large Metro Nashville to really small. I'm not going to name the city, but they only have one employee. So oh mine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but those uh HR issues should be pretty easy to handle them. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you all give us examples of the types of things that you help cities with? Well um of course, uh, we review their uh, employee rules and regulations. I, I think that's uh, just ongoing. Um, we also provide assessment centers to help them hire um, their department directors and, and uh, uh, city managers. Um, and of course, we give advice concerning employment problems and issues uh, that are probably pretty specific for each city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we help city to develop policies. Yeah, you know, Peter mentioned um, selection processes, assessment centers. Mm-hmm. And we've been spending some time over the last year and a half really kind of unpacking and repacking that internally so that we can provide a, you know, a little bit better, a little bit safer process for our cities, uh, a little bit more reliable, some more validity to it. Because if you think about it, when they when they do find talent, and we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point. Talent's hard to find when you when you find people interested in work for you. You want to make the right selection. Um, so that's a lot of what we spend our time on. And, and of course, as Peter mentioned policy design. You know, we're all three together this week, actually, to revisit the updating of the personnel policies and uh, apply those so that we can use them for all cities that that we come in contact with. And the only thing I would add to that is we also get involved in training 
um, as far as our skill sets are concerned. Um, supervisory training, um, HR-related training, compliance matters regarding FMLA, uh, maternity, paternity leave act, things that your frontline supervisors and managers need to know about. We consult with and uh, ultimately train on those type of topics when that's a need for the city. So what are some of the differences that you might see in public sector human resources versus um, human resources with a private sector organization? Well, of course, the uh, public sector is funded by tax dollars. Uh, that's probably a, a one of the biggest differences because private sector, of course, is a business. And, mm -hmm. and why are you in business? To make a profit. And the private sector is not there to make a profit, but they're there to provide services to their uh, citizens. Um, of course, there's a, a lot of rules and regulations in the public sector. Uh, where the private sector, um, they they can set their goals pretty straightforward. Uh, right. Managers use data and, and they can really define what measures they need, uh, you know, as they plan their business strategies. Um, of course, if you're trying to set goals in the, in the public sector, you've got a, a pretty large group of people that you have to, uh, to satisfy with. Um, uh, private sector also, when you get into the hiring and, and recruiting process, of course, they have employment contracts. And uh, so they can, you know, depending on what's going on with their business, they can either hire or, or they have to contract their business and they have to lay off or furlough people. Um, and there's also, a, I think, more opportunity for advancement in the private sector. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that I see out there that's, you know, difference with between private and, and public sector. Well, you know, there's some similarities. Uh, I was looking at some of the data that we have here at Impass. You know, we have 345 cities in Tennessee. Only 62 of those have formal HR departments. We were just talking about this the other day. That's about 82% that don't. Um, if you look at some data out there in the private sector, only about 70% uh, of small businesses have, uh, well, 70% of small businesses have ad hoc HR, kind of like small, small cities do. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a mom and pop shop, but it's not unlike the small businesses you would encounter and how they deploy HR. Um, but, you know, with those similarities, some, some differences come into play. You've got the, the we'll use GASB and FASB, the differences in accounting, you know, government accounting standards uh, and federal accounting standards. Mm -hmm. um, so, like Peter said, the the, the purpose of a, a private industry is to generate gross margin dollars and improve shareholder value. Um, government is purposed to provide more services with less money invested to be faster, better and cheaper, really. And approaching it from an HR standpoint, it's like your debits and credits on an accounting balance sheet. You have to kind of flip the perspective a little bit. So that's really where a lot of the differences lie. There are a lot of similarities. The government obviously has more regulatory oversight, has, has, has more, you know, 
has more uh, legislation that affects them, not just on what they do, but how they spend their money, how they use their money, how they budget it. And that slows a lot of the, the decision-making down where, where you know, private sector can shift on a dime, react to market pressures, react to spikes in inflation with salary increases to keep talent at least to get through. You know, they have the opportunity to go out and leverage revolver accounts uh, to borrow against their future more so than governments do. And also, Susan, I'd like to mention the politics. You know, we uh, we do have politics that comes into play, and politics is not a bad thing. It's ever-changing, and for HR professionals uh, like myself, I made the change from the private to the public sector. It's a big difference in that, um, like, for example, I worked for three different mayors in an eight-year period mm-hmm. and had city council or commissioners of uh, 21. And so when those change, as they do frequently, um, the rules of the game change for HR. So your policies and procedures that you have implemented and rolled out to all of your employees suddenly change two years later because of a change in the political climate in regards to the people who are holding those office uh, positions. So, um, you know, corporate politics is one thing. Local politics is another thing Mm -hmm. altogether. Yeah, and they, you know, the new folks may have new agendas or different agendas. Again, not right or wrong, just different. You've got to be very flexible, I think, in the public sector and be able to roll with those changes. So what what are some of the common issues that um, that cities see in terms of human resources? You you know, you all are um, have heard from some of your customers. Well. I know in in the cities that that I uh, that I have in West Tennessee is, and this is probably the same for just about everybody in the country. I think is uh, finding qualified employees mm-hmm. to fill positions. Um, I, I know that uh, you know police departments and fire departments and public works departments they're all uh, understaffed right now. Um, for a lot of my smaller cities, um, it is a lower pay and benefits. Um, you know, a lot of my smaller cities are rural cities, um, and they just don't have that uh, tax base out there that, that, uh, where they can, can, you know, start bringing those salaries up to try to, to attract, uh, more employees and retain them. Um, the other thing too is, uh, you know, of course, I'm I'm going back over to the private sector. You got a lot of jobs that people are now working uh, away from the office or working at home, and in the in the public sector, well, you know, we don't have that many jobs that you can actually classify to to work out of the house. All right. You know, you've got to provide those services, and so. Um, um, that that's some of the issues that, that some of my cities are facing. So, you know, kind of looking at the 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 labor economics of the situation, I was looking at some data. Uh, the job growth in private sector just here in Tennessee, year over year, you know, we've gained twenty four thousand jobs in Tennessee in the last two years in private, and almost seventy five hundred in public sector. So there's a little bit of a limit, just north of 45,000 people employed 
in the public sector in Tennessee in cities, specifically in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's limited job growth there. So you've got to be real careful when you're selecting talent, make, making sure that that talent can can deliver the services. And part of that attraction to the job is is the wage. And I'm just looking at our salary survey overall. The median salary for a city employee across Tennessee two years ago was forty-two thousand. So last year it rose up to forty-five thousand. Well, you know, seven percent increase. That's that looks pretty good overall, though. Um, wage increases in the public sector in Tennessee's been been looking at about a three point four uh, increase year over year, which that's that's right along the line of what we're experiencing here. Uh, police officer, however, it's it's kind of stabilized. Two years ago, it was thirty eight thousand. This past year, the the mean, and this is some some data that has aged probably eight eight nine months, mm-hmm. forty one thousand dollars a year, which is a seven and a half percent increase. Which compare it, the average wage of a stormwater crew member or you know a gas worker in twenty twenty one it was thirty three thousand. It's thirty six thousand, ten percent increase. But you couple that with the, the decline in sworn officers um, seen across not just the state, but the nation. You're looking at staffing levels across the country at 83,000, dropping down to 79,000, simply because they've got roughly 5% open positions that they can't fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's not counting turnover. So there's some, some lack of wage attraction. There's also some attraction issues to doing the type of uh, work that government does, as opposed to the type of work that that private sector does, we, we've got to we've got to do a better job, I think, uh, at putting together a value proposition on why people should want to work for government. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, though. But when you think about it, you know. Uh... Uh, particularly with our younger generations, working for the government may not be something on their radar right now. Mm-hmm. And so how, you know, how would you change that? I mean, what are some ideas that you all would suggest to you know, get the younger generation interested in in public sector work? I'll, I'll feel that. Uh, workforce development initiatives. I know some of our colleagues, especially over at CIS, are pretty heavily involved in, in workforce development for the private sector, manufacturing. Those, those um, especially with Blue Hill City coming in out west, they're heavily involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think one opportunity is that we leverage some of their experience, so their insight and how it applies to improving the talent pipeline here uh, in some of the direct services that cities. Uh, you know, provide, have have some conversations with some of these uh, technical schools, uh, junior colleges especially, since they're pretty well scattered across the state. I know, for example, Ball State in Galton has a workforce development program for the construction trades for uh, firefighter. So <clears throat> finding ways to replicate some of that across the state may be beneficial, you know, on, on a high-level scale. Um <clears throat> And we've really got to look at some of the education requirements for some of the barriers to entry mm-hmm. and how we paint those to, to the talent pool that's out there and try to attract. And then once we attract, select, and retain them. So you all talked about the workforce. And of course, that sounds like it's the biggest issue. Um, what are some of the other issues that, that cities are seeing? 
you know, and, and not just what they do, but how they do it, understand mm-hmm. how things are changing, being reactive to change, trying to be more nimble. Uh, some administrations, some cities are better than others. I think it's been addressed through TCMA and uh, West Tennessee Mayors Association and some other associations statewide on how to learn from other successes across the state. And I think we've got to, and I think we are doing that uh, with some of the local groups that that Peter and Betsy and recently I've been involved in uh, with some HR professionals across the state. Starting to see kind of an increase in uh, collaboration to try to solve some of the problems together. And I think that's the you know, grassroots effort. That's that's the start of a good solution. And I think, you know, um, John mentioned and, and Peter both, um, you know, the fact that we can't find good qualified applicants out there. It's hard for us to find a good pool. Uh, but the issue of turnover and also the lack of a succession planning process in place is a real challenge. Back in the day when we started in the public sector, you went to work there at that respective city or town and you never left. Well, as we know, that's not happening now. We see um, individuals coming to the workplace and changing much more frequent than they once did. So we've got to do a better job of um, training of our emerging leaders to develop people to be prepared for those positions as they turnover or people retire from that position. One of the uh, one of the uh, things that I've seen here recently, I've had uh, two or three different cities call and ask me some questions about uh, trying to develop a policy where they would pay for um, six or eight weeks of uh, maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, currently uh, under the Family Medical Leave Act, you have 12 weeks of unpaid leave. And then under the Tennessee Maternity uh, Paternity Leave Act, there's a, they actually have uh, uh, four, four more weeks or 16 weeks, four months of unpaid leave. But I'm seeing some cities out there now that are developing policies. I know uh, Rural Metro has got a policy, and and I was working with uh, another city here in West Tennessee, um, uh, and they were proposing uh, uh, eight weeks of paid uh, leave. Uh, I, I think our our cities are, are beginning to look at, um, you know, how can how can we enhance the benefits that we have. Uh, in order to, uh, to to help those employees, um, you know, who who otherwise, you know, they can't, if, if it's unpaid leave, they're not going to be able to pay their bills. And so, um, you know, they'll, they'll try to find work somewhere else. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, something else that I'm, I'm beginning to see uh, uh, people looking at uh, different ways to uh, structure their health insurance. Uh, and and then, of course, offer some of those other benefits that are out there. So let's talk about um, HR trends. Um, and this can be in, in overall private sector, public sector. Um, some trends and, of course, workforce is, is one of the major ones, as you've touched on. But um, some um, trends that practitioner HR practitioners are seeing in, in this year and we'll probably see in, in 2024. Chat GPT. Ah, okay, yes. The use of artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, right now it's it's a it's a toddler. Uh, Chat GPT. 
has been around for a couple of years. It hadn't been trained up past any information in November 2021. But people are starting to experience the efficiencies that that type of model can offer. Now, there are some cautions, obviously, because any artificial intelligence that you use is only going to be as good as the training it receives. So uh, there's going to have to be some level of oversight using artificial intelligence for um, going faster with selection problems, analyzing um, information that's given to make sure that it doesn't have disparate impact. Well, actually, you know, there could be an underlying disparate treatment intent potentially, but by and large, I think uh, the disparate impact analysis, how it affects unintentionally um, underrepresented or or protected classes, I think that's, that's a big challenge. But there's there's a whole lot going on right now of, of curiously investigating the use of AI, commonly through chat GPT mm-hmm. and, and what it what its utility is and how safely it can be used. Uh, another uh, another issue, of course, is uh, the impact that uh, Ford's Blue Oval City is having in the West Tennessee region. Uh, in so in so far as uh, so many of the uh, smaller communities um, do not have the infrastructure to um, to actually start building out, you know, with the, the amount of people that are going to come in and and actually work uh, at the at those facilities there, and um, and so um, I, I hear that topic all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Ford's also going to be paying a little bit higher wages than some of these cities are are uh, are used to. So, when we were talking about lack of qualified ca- uh, employees, well, you know, some of those employees are going to go to work for Ford. But there is one thing which I think is going to be a positive. Ford has been working with a lot of the school districts uh, in and around the counties. Uh, that surround um, the the county that the Blue Oval City is in, and uh, they are are uh, I- implementing uh, curriculums in those schools to, to start training people up so they can move up into the Ford, uh, uh, you know, play the, the Blue Oval City. Mm-hmm. But that the byproduct of that is that look how many. Look how much education is going to increase, um, and and uh, that'll to me that'll help uh, uh, develop more qualified candidates that may want to come to work for a city. Right. I think another trend is uh, the lack of mental health professionals uh, available to many of our employees throughout the state. I've attended a couple of seminars as of late, and uh, there's a decline in those. Uh, practitioners, uh, or many of them are practicing in a virtual capacity now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, mental health in the workplace has always been an issue. But I think now people, um, it's it's not as taboo as it once was. People are willing to talk about that. And our HR practitioners are saying, okay, help me help my people. Right. So there's a real opportunity there. Uh, Peter mentioned earlier today that you know, uh, we're working with less people, therefore there's greater stress on the people that are in the jobs. And uh, that's a real opportunity for us to uh, see what can be done to 
um, be more mindful of mental health in the workplace and offering solutions to help with those issues. Okay, well, thank you all for joining me today. Um, I know with just three of you, um, you, you've got full plates, I, I would think. We stay fairly busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. We, we enjoy the opportunity to serve um, the folks in Tennessee. That's for sure. Absolutely. That's and we like each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you, Susan. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Yes, have I. Thank you. Have a good day. And thank you, listeners. Be sure to find um, In Touch with Tennessee where you look for your favorite podcasts.